Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a thousand pop punk and emo pop archaeology podcast. As always, I'm Elaine and with me there's another person today. I'm Sybil and you're stuck with me. Well, it's an enjoyable time to be stuck with you, if anything, and, uh... Thanks. Let us talk, well, what are we talking about today? We're talking about 2002 album The Young and the Hopeless by Good Charlotte. Yeah, this is the second time we encounter Good Charlotte. Last time we encountered them, they had some weird half-wrapped uh, flow in their music, and, uh... I didn't hate their previous record. I feel this is a both a step up and a step down in many ways. And it's also like not particularly interesting record to talk about. Really? I think musically there's nothing here. Like it's really catchy and that's it. This is another one where I feel like we need the ghost of Adam to come in and help mediate because I'm very up on most of this album. Okay, I'm not against most of it. Uh, I know some people hate it, and I don't get it. But this feels like on the way farther pop end of pop punk. Like, this feels like radio pop through and through, and uh, not particularly, like, notable radio stuff. Like... All of the stuff, it's sort of that music that goes into an ear and exits from the other ear, or whatever the saying is. I do recall a couple of tracks off of this album, because they were major successes. I'm much kinder on them these days. Were, were you a good Charlotte hater back in the time? I found them very irritatingly twee. Would you call TRL to get Slipknot to be played over good Charlotte? Despite my age, I have never called Total Request Live. Oh well, today we learned. Yep, I'm still going to do that special on them at one point, but uh, nope, never actually had the experience of talking to Carson Daly's automated recording. But yeah, let's go and briefly talk about what happened between the last record and this record. I would generally give you the number for the last re- for the last episode we talked about them, but you're a grown-up. You can search it for yourself. It's probably like 20 or something. Mm. Waldorf, Naptown, Worldwide. What? Come on! Everything will be alright, alright. Bring it in, bring it in, what? Bring in the verse. Uh-huh. Listen up, 
While initially the reception of their self-titled album was not great, Good Charlotte managed to hang on to their label thanks to the minor success of Little Things, which got them MTV play, and some good Warp Tour performances that kept them in fan consciousness. The band ran into Eric Valentine of I Produce Smash Mouth fame and decided to work with him on the next record. During this time, their drummer left and they couldn't find a steady replacement, so by the time the record started production, they just had to have Josh Freeze of The Vandals and Devo come in as a session musician. Turns out, the drums are pretty stellar. The drums are... De- I, I don't feel... You know, I don't feel the drummer by Devo gave it its all on this record. <laughs> well, he was only getting paid session rates. Yeah, they're fine. They're good session musician drum. I don't think he put the full creative input uh, of maybe his work on Devo on this record. Yeah, right. Driven by a successful MTV slash TRL campaign, this record smashed through anything the band had done, with singles Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous getting to number 6 on the Hot 100, the Anthem arriving at 43, Girls and Boys at 48, and Hold On at 63, which is impressive given how much of a downer that track is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the music from this record featured in everything, including um, Donkey Konga. What? Remember Donkey Konga? I remember Donkey Konga. I never played it, but... Okay. This was in Donkey Konga. Uh, Dumb and Dumber 2 at the anthem in it. I'm going to see what was in Donkey Konga that I might have heard of. Uh, a Little Bit Agent. You don't remember A Little Bit Agent having the anthem in it? Um, I might have. It was the it was the first level. It was the baseball one, where the baseball guy needs to fight a volcano, and that has the anthem in it. Let's look for the Donkey Konga song list. Um. Oh, good. This is one of those that has different ones in every uh every region. Oh God, I love that. Yep. So I think it's Donkey Konga two that had Good Charlotte. I will look at all of these, because I didn't know there were three of these. Holy crap. Why did this have Busy Child by the Crystal Method? Mm-mm. Kylie Minogue. Okay, that's cool. Uh, Not in the first one. Yes, the anthem was in the North American version, not the European version. Uh, we Europeans? What was in the European version, though? I'm curious about what was... So sophisticated to be in the European version. Did we have Crazy Frog in it? Uh, you had Are You Ready for Love? Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Don't Let Me Get Me by Pink. I'm a Slave for You. Jungle Boogie, which, why is that not worldwide in Donkey Konga? (laughs) The theme to Pokemon was a European exclusive. Uh, the... Actually, it looks like the European version has, like, some of the best tracks possible. Holy crap. Huh. Like, there's just a bunch of random Nintendo stuff in here. You got the Mute City theme. You know who didn't get the Mute City theme? America. America? Yeah. This has Depeche Mode! The North American Donkey Konga 2 has stained... Oh, it's been a while? Yeah! (laughs) 
I so these were like the actual tracks played, right? Not like Donkey Kong singing these. I I am pretty sure I never played Donkey Kong, Sebo. I'm gonna reveal this dark secret of my past. I'm looking this up right now. I hope it's Donkey Kong singing them. <laughs> I want to hear Donkey Kong singing. It's been a while. Okay, there's there's a video that's just entitled Donkey Konga 2. It's been a while, monkey. So let's find out. <laughs> Street performance, monkey. Oh, this is a cover band. Okay. Is it a cover band that's trying to do Donkey Kong voice? No, they're trying to do Aaron Lewis, but oh, they're not landing it. Yeah. I would actually think it was much funnier if it was an ook. <laughs> I mean, it would. Wow. All right, well, that's that's made my day. Well, we've learned many things today. What were we talking about before this? Well, it was the anthem, so let's throw our hands up for good Charlotte. Yeah. Um, that is not actually the first track of the record. Nope, there is an intro. A new beginning. gave me more hopes than this record deserved. It's like you would hear an intro like this in like some cheesy prog metal record. Like this is the kind of intro that plays before you start singing about like dragons and swords and like how music helps you defeat the evil wizard or something. Like, you know, this is some power metal shit. I disagree. I thought this was a very Danny Elfman opening, and my notes actually have it down as butt rock Beetlejuice once it starts getting the guitars in. <laughs> I mean, the two things are not that different, to be fair. I have heard Danny Elfman's latest songs, and they do not sound very proggy. I know, like, it's not that this sounds prog, it's that this sounds like a prog band would open the record and then get into some prog. Okay. That's my take on it. Well... Then, in that case, since we don't really have a lot to talk about on a lyricless track, let's discuss the anthem. Yay! We could talk about the video for the anthem, which was 
a silly block party with bike rides and a concert in a pool. Yeah. Did you enjoy the video for the anthem? Did you enjoy it more than Donkey Konga playing uh, Stained? You know, it's a firmly okay video. There's a couple of... Nobody's trying to be out-and-out out comedic in it, so it's just, hey, every once in a while, an extra is going to just get out there and do something dumb. We're having fun. Yeah, it's, uh... I don't know, the Madden Brothers look very... They don't, they're not doing the half-wrapped thing anymore, but they do have a lot of, like, you know, rap-like mannerism, which always feel a bit off with their music when you look at them. This does have very white guy scatting, uh, speak-singing vibes in a couple of verses. Yeah, but I'm mostly talking about their aesthetic. Like, they're like, I guess that like that aesthetic of punk meets rap was a thing at the time, but it always felt a bit desperate from the punk side. <laughs> New ska had to go somewhere. Yeah, like it's no rapper at this time was trying to be punk. Is what I'm trying to say. Plenty of punk people were trying to look like rappers. Uh, it turns out. A lot of white kids were starting to appreciate modern hip-hop at this time and wanted to be cool like the people they were listening to. Unfortunately, unlike the Punisher, they could not go into a machine that made them black temporarily. Oh, right, that was a thing. That was a thing. Lois Lane did it, too. What? Oh, uh, to cover a story on racism, Lois Lane decided to borrow a machine from Superman to be black for 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Okay. Uh, this doesn't have the deepest lyrics, but I like the energy, it's catchy as hell, and more than a little of this is me these days. I mean, we've talked off... Air or on air? I don't remember anymore how this has a very after-school special feeling for a lot of it. And this is very much a don't fall in into peer pressure, kids, kind of song. <laughs> and it's, I don't know, it's very catchy, but it's also sort of cheesy. And I don't feel it in myself to hate it in any way, but... I cannot say that it's a song that vibes on any level with me. It's like, it's too... It's too much. I feel like I want a bit of cheese in my pop punk. That is fair. It's just nowhere in this record there's even the attempt at Edge, aside from like two songs that are really poorly executed. Oh yeah, there's definitely one Edge track. There are, there are two Edge tracks, I feel, and they're like very poorly executed, but aside from that... Yeah, this has the same feeling that Simple Plan has for me, which is like, this is for people that are like 15 years younger than me, and probably like 25 years younger than you, Sybil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not far <laughs> off. Okay. I feel like this is a vibe I can get behind, especially the bit about you know, you should go to college and get a real job. But it's like, no, nah, these days I'm like, uh, you know, I probably would have been better off if I'd skipped some of the schooling that I had to fake my death to get out from under the dead of. 
Is that real or is that a joke? Oh, that's that's real. I actually had to reset my credit a few years ago because they thought I died. Your life never stops being fascinating, Sable. Uh, it worked out for me in the end. I literally did that bit from The Hitchhiker's Guide where you fake death for a few years for tax reasons. Well, are you sure you should be saying this on a podcast? Well, I pay my taxes now. I was unemployed for most of it. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just checking. I don't know. You can leave that in. Okay. Um, I think it's fine. This is, this is a pop song. I think what gets me is that musically nothing is happening in the song. This is just, um, you know, this is just a solid vocal hook, which, to be fair, my complaint with a lot of records in the past was that they didn't have good vocal hooks. But uh, are the guitars and the bass even there? Like, and here's some drums. They're like, again, solid studio drums. But... Right? Like, it feels like nothing else is there but the voice to a point, and uh, I don't think that makes it bad, but that can only take you so far. However, it took them way the hell up the Hot 100. It did. Was this everywhere in, um, in the US? Because I wasn't... Oh, yeah. Yeah. This got up there. Uh, I'm not kidding when I said this album, I definitely remember hearing a lot of, even though this was not my genre at the time. What was your genre at the time? Um, this time in history, I probably would have really been getting into acid and club music. Nice. Was that on the radio plenty there? No, that would have been at foam parties. Ah. <sighs> So not TRL for you, I guess. I I did catch it a few times. I had younger siblings, but... I had younger siblings. I have younger siblings, but... uh, Yeah, no, I was never really a member of Carson's crew. Or whatever TRL... What did TRL fans call themselves? Remind me to look that up. Uh, I don't know. TRL owners? TRL Skateers. TRL identifying people? Assigned Carson at birth. A cab. <laughs> yeah, that is what that stands for. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Anthem is fine. I don't hate it. It's just... I cannot bring myself to love anything on this record aside from the next song. <laughs> Which, yeah. Yeah, the next songs I vibe with. Like, it's stupid, but I vibe with the next song. <laughs> Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous is a track that feels like it came through a time portal from today and just landed in the 2000s. It does! <laughs> it's, um... Look, we've talked about how in the previous record they talked a bunch how, you know, they actually had some decent lyrics about growing up working class, which is 
biome that I could find. It's it's them. Like they are one of the few bands that don't necessarily come from privilege. I mean, aside from you know being white kids, but you know. And yeah, and this is a song about how we we should eat the rich. It's sort of tongue in cheek. The video way more so. The video is more dated than the track. And uh, the lyrics are not great, but still. So which part of the lyrics do you not like? I don't know. I feel there's just a lot of like dated reference that to this point are not hundred on them. And everything is like, it, it is a very simplistically written song, right? You will not find a lot of like actual anger or actual class analysis in this. But aside from that, still can vibe with it, you know. Rich and famous people are always complaining and we should uh, rob their mansions, which is, you know, heck yeah. Yeah. The one thing I will point out that is a little in the lyrics is the only direct jabs are at uh, two black men. Mm, Yeah. Because there's the O.J. Simpson line. There's no such thing as 25 to life as long as you've got the cash to pay for Cochrane. And then there's the Marion Barry bit about if you were caught smoking crack, McDonald's wouldn't even want to take you back. You could always run for mayor of D.C. Isn't it nice to be rich? Like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) Like, seriously. Oh, yeah. No, I, I gotta admit, I would probably be a horrible monster if I had more money. Um, I wouldn't go that far. I know myself. I, I guess it. I guess, I guess it depends. Like, I've never met someone who grew up rich who is like a decent human being. <laughs> if you gave me fuck you money, I would be the pettiest person alive. Oh, if you gave me fuck you money right now, I would just like literally not work a day in my life and live like the quietest life ever. <laughs> no, no, I would definitely like within three months. I guarantee I would be at the point of. I'm hiring a bodyguard to just, like, track down someone who scuffed my shoes in a Vons. <laughs> I guess that's the, the duality of human beings. I, I would just, like, buy, like, a tiny cottage somewhere. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, minus the racism, I would turn into Notch immediately. <laughs> I'm going to buy a mansion full of candy. I'm going to let it all expire because I don't like human beings enough to be around them. And I'm just going to be vehemently shitposting nonstop 24-7 in lieu of actually enjoying life. That would be me. Oh, I would. I'm already vehemently shitposting instead of enjoying life. I would just like have economic security if I was rich. I'm just saying. I guarantee I would turn into one of those people who's born on third and thinks they hit a triple within a week. No, I get it. (laughs) I get it. And, uh, you know, that's valid. So back to actual happier things. I will say I love, you know, I said the video dated itself immediately. The fact that they go so heavy into a zine aesthetic for a lot of the trappings of the video, pretty nice. You don't see that a lot in stuff we cover for the show. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you say zine, I almost took it more as a newspaper aesthetic, almost. Some of it's tabloids, but a few of the graphics definitely have a very DIY, you printed 70 of these at Kinko's move. 
Yeah, very fair. Uh, yeah, the song is fine. It's again catchy chorus. Almost nothing happening there musically, but I don't know. You give me a song about fucking robbing rich people mansions, I'm gonna like it. That's just who I am. I'm not. I'm not a complex person. Also, they all look good in suits. Yeah, I mean, they're all fairly attractive, like, 20-somethings. Well, we've had some bands where I've talked about, oh yeah, this is the video where they dress up. They all look like clowns. This group does pretty well. That is fair. They still have their haircuts and shit. Yeah. No, they're not not slicked back or anything. You know, you got punk. Uh, punk spikes, makeup, etc. My dude got mascara all over his face. Ha- have you seen how good Charlotte's looks now? No, let's look this up. Uh, they look like they... I, I think they don't make particularly, you know, MAGA music, but they look like they could. Uh, I was definitely avoiding saying, yo, this band is woke because I don't know what they're up to these days, so I... Didn't want to go there. I don't think they ever did anything particularly egregious. They just look like they did. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, the the camo trucker hat out the gate is already a thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna flip through this one just to get uh, just to get visuals on the whole band. Oh, first I'm going to be shown a video for cryptocurrency because I guess that's the good Charlotte modern uh, look. This. This looks more like they're, like, Canadian is simple plan in this. One of them is wearing a hockey referee outfit in the desert. Uh, what's the next song? Wondering. have many notes on this like this is a decent pop tune and it this sounds like it should be in a rom-com i don't know why the lyrics are not the lyrics are really generic and don't really go anywhere but this sounds like it should be in a rom-com uh it's got a nice plinky guitar backing it's a chill little track about being friends maybe romantically with someone um at this point the album is real wholesome in a way that I don't know if I mean positively. It. So we have talked about a lot about problematic bands that say problematic things, but problematic things at least sound human. There is an amount of written by committee that I can like this album feels like and how inoffensive a lot of this stuff is. So it's interesting that some of the stuff that has the harder edges, they considered not putting on this album. Like the next track, Story of My Old Man, apparently they decided maybe not, but they figured, uh, you know, some people probably had bad dads. Yeah, I mean, this is very much a pop record. It is. Sometimes we're going to get pop and pop punk. I still think it's, by and large, a good record. I don't think it's bad. Again, I just hear stuff like Wondering, and it's, um... 
a good tune, but it's majorly toothless. And it just sounds it just sounds like movie soundtrack material. That's fair. Like again, this would be playing in the background of uh, the the rom com scene where she falls to the ground and like all of the, 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 the she made the, she has a meet cute but she has glasses so she's ugly or whatever. If I let my hair down, do you think I would suddenly be beautiful? I mean, everyone would. At least that's what Hollywood teaches us. Unless you're fat. If you're fat, you will always be ugly. Unless you get thin. Alright, I'm going to take this hair clip off right now. Okay. And wave my head around. By the way, the fat... Just just so so we don't get cancelled, the fat thing was sarcasm. I'm very fat. And uh, I am uh, angry at Hollywood for how they portray us. I am... I am curvy, but not in the way that I would like to be yet. Oh, that's a big mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, um, not feeling super amazing, but maybe it's because I don't have someone to look at me and go, whoa, right now. So we'll come back to that. All right, let's, let's talk about that track they were a little embarrassed by, The Story of My Old Man. I don't know too much about too much of my old man. Yeah, this is another sort of heartfelt track about how their uh, father of the Madden brother left them when they were young. And, um, you know, there's not much shit that we can talk about this because it, it feels heartfelt. It feels like they're talking, speaking from a place of a genuine place. And um, there's also one of the most punk sounding songs on the record, which I don't mind at all. It goes a bit harder, has this interesting chorus that slows down the tempo quite a bit, which you could take or leave. I think it actually helps with the tone of the song because it's not a happy song. It's uh, very much a song, you know, sad song. So slowing down the tempo works. I don't know. It's okay. It's not... It's not the most downer song uh there's i think there's a version of this song later on the album that's like the dark side of this it's it's playing a little bit glib with it but also uh the chorus is remarkably dark if you listen to it monday he woke up and hated life drank until wednesday and left his wife Thursday through Saturday, lost everything. Woke up on Sunday, miserable again. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, this song is good. Yeah, I like it. I think it helps that it comes in under three minutes. If this did another repetition, this would suck. It's also one of the least listened tracks of this record. Fun fact. Looking at Spotify right now. I don't imagine a lot of people want to revisit this one much. 
then we're back into Single Town with Girls and Boys. And unfortunately, it's not as good as the Blur song. Girls who like boys, who like boys, who like girls, who like etc. Okay, that sounds queer. Uh, it's a pretty fun one. It's like a lot of early Damon Albarn. It gets in, gets out, and doesn't get too heavy with it. It's fun. Hmm. This one is about how um, girls don't like boys, girls like cars and money. Do you think that is accurate? I'm not really the car type, but I will take cash. However, I'm also <laughs> pansexual, so I do like boys. So, 50% true? Uh, 33% true. There's three things there and only one applies to me. Yeah, this this is not amazing, but it's it doesn't really get hateful with it. This is... Pre-rape jokes, Jerry Seinfeld level of observational humor. <laughs> uh, they are talking about teenagers, so yes, that tracks. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know about his 17-year-old girlfriend, right? If, yeah, while he was on Seinfeld. I think I knew, I just didn't... I'm just saying, Jerry Seinfeld has big pop-punk energy and not in a good way. Well, let's not talk about that. Um, What's the deal with girlfriends? Why do they always have a test on Monday? Uh, uh, this is more the most like lower common denominator kind of just observational stuff. It's like, oh, boys will laugh at girls when they're not funny. It's like... It, it's not hateful, it's just, like, extremely basic. <laughs> it's it's very basic. This does have a... Seinfeld energy, you're right. Uh, it's way harsher on women than men, but it's... It doesn't get into a damn-those-skanks full-on misogyny. It's just like, oh, this is, this is background radiation sexism. Cool. I mean, if I need to be mean, it's like... This whole record is too basic to get hateful. <laughs> this whole record is just too toothless to ever get hateful. Like, Yeah, when I say this is wholesome and not in a complimentary way, I mean it. This feels like Radio Disney Rock at times. Yeah. You know what? Bowling for Soup got hateful, and unless it has personality, <laughs> unless, you know, it... um. It, it felt that it was written by humans and not by an AI. Yeah, one of the ladies asked me earlier, is this show easier for you to do when the record is good or sucks? And I had to think about it for a minute because I had fun listening to this, but there's definitely some tracks that's like, uh, 
I don't really know what to say here. It's pretty samey musically, but I didn't have a bad time. This is also another 14 tracks record. But it's under 50 minutes, so, you know, it does flow pretty well. It doesn't matter for our format. If this was a two-hour, four-track prog over, it would be way easier to cover because we don't have to have 14 different opinions about things. Yeah, but the good thing is, nothing on this album is bland. That's what kills us. Yeah, that's fair. It's toothless, but it's not bland. There's something to discuss everywhere. Uh, This also has a video, and uh, it has big jackass energy because it's the boys wandering around punk shows, but like a bunch of grampies and grammies are running around. Have you ever wanted to see a 70-year-old man wearing a Jonan Vasquez shirt? You can. Okay, I'm also looking at the lyrics right now, and I forgot how lyrically sparse this was. Like, there are... Yeah. Two verses, and calling them verses is, you know, generous, because it's like four lines each, and then it's just the chorus repeated over and over again. Yup. Paper or plastic don't matter, she'll have it. Vacations and shopping sprees, these are a few of her favorite things. Woman be shopping, Fibble. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, given that I have no less than, let me count this... 14 tabs of different storefronts open right now. Yeah, but yours is mostly anime. Let's be real. Uh, four of them are right stuff tabs. That is fair. I, for the last 10 years, changed house every six months, so I've learned not to get into the whole material possessions thing. And I come from a family of hoarders with psychological problems and don't know how to budget. That sounds like the start of a great sitcom. Now here's the question. Who's the writer's room on the Sybil sitcom? Oh, let's, let's just get Joss Whedon there. Yeah, let's just get Joss Whedon and Aaron Sorkin. Oh my god, I don't think you could make something that is more toxic to leftists and or women than that combination. <laughs> also, do you know how many monologues about feet there would be? <laughs> Let's talk about the Joss Whedon of tracks on this album, My Bloody Valentine.
to do the speech again that I did with um with Machine Gun Kelly? Go for it. You cannot if you're in if you're making rock music, you cannot call your band of your. I know that it's like it's a thing. It's a term that used to. I don't even know. It's like you know. It's a thing, but there's a like. My bloody viola is. You cannot call your song the Beatles, and in the same way that you cannot call a song the Beatles, you cannot call your song My Bloody Valentine, because it's one of the greatest rock band in rock history. And I will always be peeved at that, because people keep doing it, and you can't. I, I will never listen to a song named My Bloody Valentine and never, and not start like... And, and, and Loveless not start playing in my brain, because you cannot do that. It's not allowed. But, Ellie, I guarantee these boys didn't know about that band. They probably just rented the movie once, because they were like, oh man, we can get away with this. Yeah, I mean, I 100%, I am 100% sure, but someone should have stopped them. Call it the, the murdery song. Call it Murder is Good. Don't call it My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. Anyhow, this is a song about murdering someone. Yes. It's, uh, it's got some real John Hinckley energy, except they didn't go for Reagan, and they weren't trying to win over Jodie Foster. I didn't get that reference, but okay. John Hinckley tried to assassinate President Ronald Reagan to win the love of Jodie Foster. He had some mental illness. I mean, those two sounds like valid things to do, to be fair. I'm not gonna lie. If he'd killed Reagan, he would have had my heart. But he fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, um, this is trying to be my chemical romance levels of edge without really getting there. It's like, it's too happy, like, it's too happy sound. It, it doesn't change their sound. There's no dramaticness in the delivery, and, uh... I, you know, songs about murdering people exist. It's fine. You can you can do that. It can be like a very powerful and theatrical like thing to do. But you need to sound like you mean it. You cannot sound like Good Charlotte when you do that. Like, there's a big difference between the nasally voice of uh, the Madden dude and uh, just Gerard Way belting his heart out, saying that he will kill a thousand people for the devil. Like, there's a difference there. And, yeah, I don't feel this works for me in any kind of way. Again, it's sort of catchy, but that's it. This is one of my top three tracks on the album. Really? Okay, talk to us about it. I was a little nervous going in because it loses a bit of energy. It's one of the longer tracks. It's just shy of four minutes. But then it starts building. Uh, Partway through, they start doing little violin stings in the background. And it actually has a long instrumental outro that it builds to over the whole thing. And while lyrically it's not amazing, I think the chorus works. Uh, I think the chorus is one of the only lines in this that works. But it really fits going with that and the bridge and everything as the music is swelling in the last third. Very much fit for me. It uh, it gets theatrical. It has an identity unlike anything else on the album. Slow clap from me. 
Okay, also, I forgot a thing, because now we were talking about transphobes, and I just remembered that the anthem was actually co-written by our favorite transphobe. It's uh, co-written by John Feldman of Goldfingers. Ah, boy, that guy got around. That guy got around. <laughs> Pretty sure he's responsible for, like, half of the pop punk of this era. You know... That does explain why he still looks so good these days when Goldfinger didn't really go anywhere for ages. My dude got producer and writer money. Oh yeah, yeah, he totally went into the A&R whole thing, and uh, yeah, that was his job. That was his thing. Hey, do we want to talk about one of my lows on the album? Uh, hold on. Hold on. Oh god, okay. first note on this is like the twitter meme no please don't kill yourself you're so hot haha ha. uh so the video for this goes an extra minute and it keeps interrupting the song to have now here's the thing i i try to keep a policy of you don't shit talk when they're doing a tribute to a dead friend or like an actual song with good intentions behind it. This is very much don't kill yourself. Hey, there's hope. You leave people behind. Don't do it. It has a video where it starts out with a lot of families of dead, presumably pop punk listening youths telling the story of, hey, I found the body. Hey, yeah, I remember my brother. It's like, okay, this is really stick this in the middle and you did i don't need 40 seconds of it before the music gets going i mean yeah i i actually prefer it when it's like at the beginning and at the end just don't i i hate videos that interrupt the song but it does both yeah that's the problem and then even worse a it's the anti-suicide song right after the murder track so there's some tonal whiplash B, the whole set this is all recorded in is a murder house that looks like a Resident Evil game is going to happen there with mold dripping from empty rafters and burned out sides of a building. And C, it's just not a good song. You went for a message and you didn't really put in the work. You just thought it was going to be self-evident. I think this is a completely acceptable, like... Pop ballad? I would not call it good. Yep. It it exists. I'm less worried by the murder track and more worried by later there's a song that's like, yeah, when I kill myself, it's gonna be awesome. Which, yes, there is an anti-hold on later on. Uh, I, I described that track as Death Drive for Cutie. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also... You can tell that a preteen wrote the annotation for this track because this is the full run-on sentence description. 
The song says that no matter how sad or depressed you feel, you have to keep going, and that everyone have problems too, and sometimes are worse than yours. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that's a preteen. That's probably just someone who listens to pop punk and has been mentally damaged through the year because of that. Hey, how about we bring back my new favorite game? What do you think the person who only listened to The Young and the Hopeless for 20 years would be like? Um, what did the random Hot Topic people evolve into? Um, what did they grow into? They went one of two ways. Either they're the people who were jiving along with Pete Buttigieg to high hopes on the campaign trail, or they are the sad folks off of one of the recent albums who just have the miserable relationships that are chronicled in a bad John Mellencamp-style song. I'm gonna go with the third option, like, mildly punk, haha, random, optopic people that eventually, like... Became very boring, nine-to-five working people with the most basic life possible. I already said Pete Buttigieg campaign staff. <laughs> oh, um, in my head, this kind of people is too boring to care about politics in any way. But I don't know, maybe that's an American culture thing where it's more common to actually care about that shit. There's just a certain type of person who would be singing along to... For a living, along with one of the most white bread CIA bitch baby candidates ever, and it's like, that's who I imagine those people are. Pop punk is still part of their life, but now it's their politics. That is fair. Also, just to note, YouTube autoplayed after Good Charlotte, My Chemical Romance Famous Last Words, which is one of my favorite My Chemical Romance songs, so now I'm just jamming to this. I never turn on autoplay unless I have a playlist of these tracks that goes. And um, that's probably good because some of the things that I get suggested on YouTube are horrifying or hilarious. Lately I'm getting this... I found, like, I don't I don't found it. It's pretty popular, but it's like the weirdest genre of YouTube, which is there are a couple of accounts that post musical clips, like... 10-second clips from musical with, like, D&D-related captions, like, you know, when the artificer introduces herself, and it's a clip for, from, like, the Little Mermaid showing up the, all of the, the thing that she has. And it's so weird, and I don't know why this exists, but it's fascinating. No, that tracks. Um, tabletop players are the theater kids of board games, so there's overlap. That, that is fair. Well, speaking of moral judgments, how about we talk about Riot Girl? Oh yeah, there are about four R missing from this song title. Well, no, no, it's not meant to be like the genre. It's meant to be like, this is a woman who is going to set things on fire and might have mental illness. This has 
my favorite genius annotation on the whole album. Okay. Riot Girl depicts Joel Madden's love of his rowdy, non-conforming punk girlfriend to compensate for Good Charlotte's lack of punk. <laughs> that is wonderful. Do we know who wrote this? Can we can we shout out specifically who wrote this? This was by Canadian Trash. <laughs> uh, let me see. Wow, they still have annotations up to February of this year on flat sound albums. We commit to not shit talk Canada again. I mean, I'm making Sybil commit to not shit talk Canada again because I don't, I don't have that culture. Um, yeah, you have to commit to that now. I, I don't shit talk Canada though. What if my exes moved up there and, like, got married? Oh, come on. I remember the simple plan episode. You should talk Canada. Okay, I do shit talk Canada, but also some of my best friends live there, and my ex, and, like, yeah. I cannot slag off Canada as a whole. Anyhow, this is a song about someone who's potentially dangerous for society. Yeah, um, this is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl with the Molotov. The the whole thing is talking about, this is probably the closest we come to misogyny on the album with lines like, My girl's a hot girl, a hood ride who needs an attitude adjustment. He's referring to the John Cena move, right? You know what I want to hear now? You know what horrible thing you've just put into my brain? I want a good Charlotte cover of Rapadoo. <laughs> Not the Doctor of Taganomics song? No, no. I definitely want to hear ska horns behind Good Charlotte trying to do those lyrics. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure they would do that. <laughs> yeah, no, this this song uh, is just describing the over-the-top energy you would expect of someone who's being like, yeah, I got a, I got a cool girlfriend, but she does live in Lithuania. You can't meet her. <laughs> Man, it's um, it's very cartoon. It's a very cartoonish depiction of everything. It's uh, it's in tone with the rest of the record, where it's like sort of toothless and exaggerated and very. The reason why I come back to Simple Plan a lot is because they sound like Scooby Doo characters in a way that not even Simple Plan sounded like Scooby Doo characters. I had the actual real world version of this caricature they describe as a uh, barista earlier and it went so poorly for me that in trying to act cool I poured two coffees on my tits <laughs> had to play that one off that was pretty good uh, yep turns out I don't know how to flirt yeah I don't have anything to say to this song this is so nothing how about we go with say anything oh the movie the band? Ah, oh, no, the track. I used to know the sound of a smile in your voice. But right now, all I feel is the pain of the fighting starting up Bye. 
if if uh, the, the, the I hate this. I'll be honest. This is again. This is um. You know, this is the bad pop ballad. Yep. And uh, if if you didn't like Hold On, you will hate this. This is like Hold On without the message and with like slower, cheesier music. Yeah. This this is a divorce song. There's no there's no mention of it being a marriage, but this has the energy of a guy being divorced and just getting really drunk and talking to things and mumbling into your answering machine at 3 a.m. And that would be fine if the music was better, but musically this is just so slow and boring and cliche and... Uh, it's four and a half minutes. It is four and a half minutes. Why is it four and a half minutes? So here, I'll tell you a better story. Uh, my only say anything reference is that I went to see Peter Gabriel on the Back to Front tour for So's anniversary, and since I saw him at the Hollywood Bowl, when they started playing In Your Eyes, John Cusack came out on stage lifting up a boombox and actually performed as part of the set. Oh, so, so John Cusack is uh, Peter Gabriel's stand. Well, you know, it did really kickstart his career with that scene. So yeah, it just, I did not expect that, but it's like, oh yeah, I guess he would live close enough. He could probably do that as a favor. It was a really cool moment. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Made me very happy we drove up there rather than seeing them locally. Neat. Um, next song? The Day That I Die. Cast dog was barking, went to the park and enjoyed it one last time. I called my mother. The day that I die. Yay, suicide song. This is a song about killing yourself and being very happy about it because that's gonna be the best day of your life. <laughs> Good annotation once again, and it is yet again the same person who wrote the last uh, hold on one. The song says that one day he got up with the task to die that same day since he is not happy and he believes that he would be happy if he ends his life and although he will die alone it is fine, but first he had to remember what he lived and say goodbye. If you are depressed or are about to commit suicide, please go back a few tracks to hold on. <laughs> That's that all awesome. one sentence. So this is a very cheerful sounding, almost like Beatlesy in the verse. And uh, yeah, it's sort of like this jaunty Beatles verse. And then the, the chorus reminded me of like a pop version of Can You Feel the Love Tonight? This is how my brain operates. Don't worry about it. Um, but the song is about killing yourself and that being awesome. And um, I don't know what to say because this is on the same record as Hold On. And like... That no one pointed this out. Like, it's not like you cannot have these two songs exist at the same time. 
but on the same record, it's um, not the best thing. That said, they named their dog Cash Dog, apparently, and, and that's cool. Yeah, I definitely want to know where the person who transcribed these lyrics got capital C A dollar sign H capital D O double G from. Is that in the booklet that came with this? Because if not, you're doing some stretching there. Do you think Good Charlotte are the kind of people to name their dog Cash Dog, but with like correct English spelling? Cash space dog? Let's put it this way. You showed me a more modern Good Charlotte song, and I said it was two degrees away from being a sublime reference. Cash Dog is also numbers filed off sublime reference, so I'm starting to wonder about these boys. Oh, do you think they're the reincarnation of sublime? No, because uh, sublime came back from the dead, and that sucked. But not not the singer. The singer is still in the ground and in hell where he should be, but the band came back. I have lived in this city for over 30 years, and every fucking day... I will hear a song by Sublime coming out of someone's radio. Because it's still played on the radio regularly here, like they're a band that deserves anyone's attention. Come back to our next spin-off. Gotta get out of California, a Sublime retrospective. If we start a Patreon and make that a goal, it's because I, like this track, am awaiting the day that I die, and I want everything to feel like knives until then. Oh, does it already feel like knives right now? Uh, no. Right now I have one of the multiple coffees I bought earlier from the cute barista, and I am just chilling. Okay. Now I have finished it, and so, yes, everything feels cold. So cold. Emotionless, you would say? Uh, the next track Oh, wait, is... no, that's not the next Yeah. <laughs> yeah, podcast. The young and the hopeless, it's the title track, they said the thing. Hot days, baby, hot nights shake me, I don't know, they somehow save me, and I know I'm making something out of this life, they call nothing. I take what I want, take what I need, they say it's wrong, but it's right for me, I won't look down, won't say I'm sorry, I know that only God can judge me. And if I make it through today, we're too much. Again, this is where I felt like this record is just someone tried to make simple plan actually work, and this is the result. This is another track that feels very simple plan, but with more of a full pop makeup to it. It almost has this weeping epic sound to support like this very mediocre song. You know, it's simple and catchy, and uh, not as Canadian a simple plan, so it exists. This is one of my top three on the record. I, I found it meatier than the singles. It's got a lot of the chugga-chugga guitar, a little heavier play there. Good energy for a downer track. It's only three and a half minutes, so nothing drags. Continues to flow the whole way through. Has a very 
younger me feel angry at the world, but I'm going to do something with my... It's not despair. It's, yeah, I'm a dirtbag. What of it? I'm going to keep doing something. And very anti-authority, don't give up, but in a rage-filled way. Yeah, I, I vibe with this. This reminds me a lot of my younger self. Okay, well, I'm not going to shit, shit talk your younger self. I just oh, think this is... He was a fucking idiot. But I'm not. <laughs> uh, I, I I didn't know them, and <laughs> I will not shit talk your younger self. Right. And, um, yeah, this is just nothing musically to me, uh, like a lot of this record. It's catchy. And I like catchy. Uh, we've established on this podcast that I really like catchy songs, but there must be something else there. And with Good Charlotte, there really isn't a lot that I can hold on to. None of this record is bad. Like if I put this record as a background music, it's fine. It's listenable, but it's very shallow, if I have to use a word. There's not a lot there aside from that surface catchiness. And, um, yeah, and that's my thought on it. I feel emotionless about it. Now this transition works. <laughs> Are you happy out there in this great wild world? Do you think about your sons? Do you miss your little girl when you lay your head down? How do you sleep at night? I feel about this track how you felt about The Young and the Hopeless. It's a ballad. It's dodgy. It's the dark world mirror of Story of My Old Man, which was a little glib about it. This is like, hey, this is an open letter to my dad who abandoned me. Why'd you leave me? You left a void in my soul. You left ruins in the family that you left behind. These scars are in me. It could be a bad country track for all the lack of energy it has. No, this is, uh, this is another ballad. They're not... Could Charlotte are not good enough songwriter to write ballads? And I know that every pop artist writes ballads, and most pop artists are not good enough songwriters to write ballads, so... That is my take on it. Hmm. You know who writes great ballads? Japanese Breakfast. You know who doesn't write great ballads? Me? Good Charlotte. Oh, that works too. Yeah. Do you do you not write great ballads? I don't write great ballads. Have you heard me do improv singing on this recordings from time to time? I d yeah, no, that tracks. See? Hmm. Yeah, Emotionless is an incredibly energy... It's what the title says. There's nothing here but sludge. Mm-hmm. Four minutes of sludge. And not even sludge metal. That would have been cool. And the chorus is so long. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't have anything to say about this. This is bad. Yep. So moving on. Moving on, the last track. Uh, this is a good closer. Yeah. It has some energy, it closes the record well, and, uh, you know, thematically it works as a closer. It's about, you know, counting up your losses and moving on. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's not very different from the rest of the record. It's not memorable, but, you know, if you have to close a record, this is the way to do it. Uh, it does not live up to the Dance Mania track of the same name, which is one of my absolute jams, although it was maybe a, close to half a decade before this album. But uh, it it hits me, you know. I also had the Dead by 25 packed when I was a young person, and I think it's a good closer with nice energy, because unlike some of the slower tracks that are talking about don't give up, you've got to go on. It has emotion, and it's not you have to live, it's just I'm not giving up. I like that. So, if we want to go on final thoughts, this record is too, again, basic is the word that I use for me to really resonate with any of it. It's, uh, like, we know that pop-punk is very pop and there's not much edge to it, but I don't know, we've had better than this. This is, like, this is Disney Channel shit, <laughs> which doesn't make it Bad. It just makes it incredibly distant from anything that I can enjoy on a deeper level. Here's the thing. The first half of this is pretty solid pop with, you know, a little bit of weakness there. But as a whole, this is an album about grappling with depression that is trying to aim for a broad audience who would not listen to. All right. When I was growing up, one of my younger sisters was incredibly moody and self-destructive, and she's still a giant fuck up to this day and levels that you cannot comprehend. But I decided I was going to reach out and do the mature thing, which is I would just show her the music of our people. And so I gave her a copy 
of the cure's disintegration, thinking, oh yeah, this'll hit her like it hit me when I was her age. And she put it on, and 40 seconds in, she just went, is anyone ever going to talk on this? And by the time the vocals finally kicked in after that long atmospheric intro, she just shut it off and walked away. This is the depression and grappling with your emotions album for her. This is what I should have given her to try and work through her shit. Because she doesn't have the intention span or the intellect to grapple with the cure. And that is not saying that if you are a good Charlotte fan, you are an idiot. No, no, you're calling specifically your sister an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, there is a certain type of person who this is on their level, but I still think this is a very enjoyable album. I don't know. Even if you look at it that way, then you have the best day of my life or whatever. And it's like, how you reconcile that with the rest of this record? Yeah. I'm not saying there aren't some clunkers. I'm just saying, as a whole, this tackles a lot of heavy stuff on an okay level. No, that is fair. They definitely still have an above-than-average songwriting on some levels, but I don't know. I was sort of into their previous record, and this one is better musically in that it's a lot more polished, but it's not necessarily good. And, um... I cannot really get into, but I get your point. I, I understand your point, and it makes sense. This is... I can definitely see how this record may have helped people to a point, and uh, that's good. It's not for it's not for me. It's really not for me. It's too... Too Disney Channel. <laughs> it's too, like, simple plan, but without the Canadian. Hey, what if next time... We went into something that was even more Canadian. By that, I mean Oklahoma. <laughs> okay, I'll buy it. What's that? The All-American Rejects are going to debut with their album, The All-American Rejects. Same song, different chorus. So this was an episode, and uh, my mental bandwidth is not good enough to do the whole ending. You know where to find us. Do you have anything to plug, Sybil? You can find me at hellscaper.com. And you can find me as always on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And uh, if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but... um... We do not have a Patreon, but we do both have fathers, so... Nah, 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 nah. Um. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end this. Bye bye. Time to stick around. I'll catch my flight, leap like a pop pocket, and get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.